Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Hello and welcome to SCOTUScast. I'm your host, Justin Drower, on behalf of the Faculty Division of the Federalist Society. We're here today to discuss 303 Creative LLC v. Alanis, which was argued before the court on December 5th, 2022. It's my honor to introduce our guest today, Professor Dale Carpenter. Professor Carpenter is the Judge William Hawley Atwell Chair of Constitutional Law at the Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law. His research focuses on constitutional law, First Amendment law, and LGBT rights and the law. So thank you for joining us today, Professor Carpenter. And uh, I think to, 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 to start off, uh, why don't we go through uh, kind of the background of the case, why people should should care about uh, about what's going on. Yeah, so this case involves a, a graphic and website designer who has a business called 303 Creative, and she wants to extend that business into providing or designing custom websites for couples who are getting married website wedding website designs um and she wants to do that she hasn't yet done it but she has very traditional religious views about marriage she believes that marriage is only the union of one man and one woman or should properly only be that and accordingly, she does not want to provide her website design services for same-sex weddings. She says that she is perfectly willing and does, in fact, serve LGBT people and customers for other projects, but this is the kind of project that she does not uh, intend to provide or want to provide. And I think importantly, um, her website design services involve things like, of course, just hosting, I guess, the, the, the websites themselves, but also uh, the design elements, the, the, uh, the graphics that will be involved, any colors that would be involved, any symbols, uh, and also writing services. She is actually going to be involved in talking with the customers and putting into words the kind of story uh, that they want to tell about their wedding. So she's she's proposing to offer what I think everybody would agree are classic expressive services. Um, now, I say she hasn't yet offered those services, and that's actually kind of an important part of this case, and it's a complicating part of this case. She has essentially filed what's known as a pre-enforcement lawsuit or pre-enforcement action in federal court saying that um, Colorado law would define me as a public accommodation because I'm generally offering my services available to the public uh, and would require that I not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. That's right in Colorado law. 
Um, and Colorado has previously enforced this public accommodations law on the issue of the provision of some wedding services to couples. And this uh, included uh, famously a, a baker um, in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case that uh, I'm sure everybody remembers from a few years back. Um, and she says, I fear, I have a credible fear that the state will actually, that someone will make a complaint when I announce that I'm, I, I have hold, the, hold these traditional views and won't design the websites for same-sex couples. Someone will make a complaint and then the state civil rights commission is actually required to launch an investigation. And so I have a credible fear that this investigation will come about, that it'll be launched and that I'll have to go through the time, the trouble, and the expense of defending myself. So I want to close that off at the pass, and I want a declaration that I have a First Amendment right, originally she said a both free exercise right and a free speech right, under the First Amendment, to decline to design these websites for same-sex weddings, and I want an order saying that I can't be investigated and prosecuted for failing to do this for these weddings. Um, and of course, Colorado is defending its law um, and saying that it's not aimed at speech. Um, and then instead it's aimed at only discriminatory conduct. Uh, and therefore it doesn't violate the First Amendment. The, the restriction on speech is merely incidental to the restriction on discriminatory conduct. Um, she filed that lawsuit in federal court and, um, and she lost in the lower courts. I think most notably she lost in the 10th circuit, which uh, somewhat oddly actually agreed with her on every step of the case, including on the questions of whether what she was proposing to engage in was expressive and therefore protected by the First Amendment and agreed with her that the First Amendment does in fact apply to these public accommodations uh, laws and, um, and agreed with her that um, that would be a direct burden on her speech if she were required to uh, provide these services to uh, weddings that she disagreed with and agreed that because of that, it was compelled speech that strict scrutiny applied to um, that application of the law and agreed with her that um, um, uh, on, on all of these points, but at the end of the day, uh, disagreed with her and said that uh, Colorado had chosen applying strict scrutiny, the narrowest possible means to requiring her to provide these services prospectively because she effectively has a monopoly on her own artistic services because she is the only one, literally the only person in the world that would be, make available these precise services. And so because she has monopoly, of course, Colorado has to give, grant access to her services. Very odd conclusion. And so um, there was an, a, a petition for writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court, and that was ultimately accepted by the court. And the court agreed to hear this case and did hear this case on December the 5th, at which I think we had a quite lively 
um, argument almost worthy of a law school classroom. Well, thank you for that uh, that background. It, it is certainly a fascinating uh, background. So, and, and you've lined us up well, bringing us to the Supreme Court here. So, so speaking of the oral argument, um, what what are some of the some of the highlights from from the argument? Any uh, any key takeaways that you picked up on? Oh gosh, do we have the time really for this? Uh, I mean, it was a two. You know, first of all, there were dozens of briefs, amicus briefs, filed on both sides of uh, the controversy, and I should say that I filed an, an amicus brief along with Eugene Volokh, uh, Ilya Shapiro and others, um, uh, American Unity Fund and others um, in support of uh, Lori Smith, who's this uh, graphic website designer. Uh, so there were a lot of briefs filed and a lot of interesting arguments, a lot of important organizations got involved, are getting involved. Um, and the, the argument itself was full of a lot of hypothetical questions where I think the justices were trying to tease out both weaknesses in the arguments on either side and trying to tease out possible future applications of any particular principle that they end up embracing in an opinion. And uh, some of them were really strange. We had dueling Santa Clauses in a shopping mall, for example, uh, really out there, but but others, it seems to me, were, were quite plausible. Um, um, and I would say there were a number of issues. I don't think, so. so let me say what I think is not an issue on the table. So I think it is not an issue on the table uh, to question whether the, the uh, proposed services she will offer are expressive. I mean, you could raise that issue about a whole lot of wedding service providers. You know, does a caterer provide uh, expressive services? Probably not, but I guess some people would argue about it. Does a florist, does a baker? You could ask about all those kinds of cases. That is not an issue here. There is no question uh, because, of course, the petitioner says that she's providing expressive services, writing, graphics, symbols, colors, and so forth, um, that are classically expressive. They are speech. And, and Colorado agrees. There are stipulated facts here, although, again, we've not had her actually offer the services or deny services to anyone. There are stipulated facts here where Colorado agrees. She's offering classically expressive services. The federal government, which intervened, the Solicitor General's office uh, decided to get involved and, and argue in this case because there were some federal laws potentially at stake as well. Uh, the federal government agrees that these are classic expressive services. They are expressive, ones she's proposing. And the Court of Appeals agreed, of course, that these are expressive services. So that is not the issue. I think a lot of people might be uh, you know, might go off on a detour about that issue, and it's not an issue. What is at issue, I think, is, and genuinely at issue, uh, are a couple of really important things. One of them is, is the public accommodations law as applied to her proposed uh, expression aimed at principally at conduct with only an incidental effect on speech 
in which case it's probably okay under the court's precedence. Or is it in fact, while in, in form aimed at discriminatory conduct, in fact, such an, an onerous and direct burden on speech that it's subject either to much more strict scrutiny or is just going to be per se invalid under the First Amendment? I think that is a really important question uh, in this case. Um, and, and, and so then I think that the question would be, depending on what kind of, of case you think you have here, whether you think it's the lower form of scrutiny or the higher form of scrutiny, what, how do you write an opinion? And how do you write an opinion? And I think this is some, some of the stuff that judge justices were interested in. How do you write an opinion that is cabined enough, of course, to protect the freedom of speech and expressive elements, while at the same time not gutting the civil rights laws of the country? Um, the court has, uh, in the past and on a couple of occasions, applied First Amendment principles to limit the application of public accommodations laws. It did that, for example, uh, um, in the Hurley case, the uh, where the, where the uh, uh, gay and lesbian and bisexual contingent wanted to enter a and uh, want to have an entry marching behind a banner in the annual Irish parade in Boston. And the, the parade organizers refused to, uh, to let them do that, although it said gay and lesbian individuals could march. It said, we're not going to let you march as a contingent behind a banner. And they claimed a First Amendment right to be able to do that. And the court ultimately agreed with that. Uh, and in another case, um, uh, the Boy Scouts of America um, uh, ex expelled a gay scoutmaster who was openly gay and was involved in gay activism, expelled him, excluded him, and uh, that was said to be a violation of the New Jersey public accommodations law, and that case went to the Supreme Court under principles of expressive association, very similar to the expressive interests in Hurley, and in that case, Dale versus the Boy Scouts of America, the court said that, in fact, there was a, a First Amendment violation in the application of that New Jersey law. But I will say the court has never before applied the First Amendment principles to a public accommodations law enforced in the business services commercial marketplace context. And so this will be a first time. And I think that there is a lot of concern, including among justices who are favorable to Lori Smith, the business owner, uh, that, that there has to be an ability for the state to make products and services available to people without discrimination, harmful discrimination. So that, that, that I think, was a subject of a lot of concern uh, in the court. It's a long-winded way of responding, but that was that. That's what I think are some of the principal concerns. Not long-winded at all. I mean, there's a there's a lot to cover, and it's all all very interesting. So thank you for uh, boiling it down there. So, do you have any read about how how the decision is going to go based on? I know we we just talked about about precedent that we're kind of in slightly uncharted waters here. So, do you have uh, any uh, any predictions? Yeah, so I so I think there will I 
So I, I, I have to qualify anything I predict about this by saying I've been really bad at predicting a lot of Supreme Court decisions in the past, so probably the opposite of what I expect will happen. But that notation aside, I think it's likely that Lori Smith is going to win at least a limited victory in the Supreme Court. As I read, a majority of the justices, uh, and I think five in particular, maybe six actually, <laughs> that she will win some kind of a limited victory. There may be a fractured opinion. There may be a sort of a plurality and then um, uh, some concurring opinions, but I think the tally will ultimately be six to three, that she'll get some kind of relief. I'm not sure what exactly that's going to look like. It may take only the form of a remand to the lower courts to, um, to apply the correct level of scrutiny or something like that, as opposed to an outright victory saying that she doesn't have to serve any same-sex weddings. And by the way, I do not think that she will get, at least not now from the Supreme Court, an order of some kind or any indication saying that she under no circumstances has to provide her services to same-sex weddings. I do think there was enough um, uh, pushback on that from a couple of the justices. Um, I'm thinking Kavanaugh, maybe Barrett, maybe Gorsuch, um, that, that suggested that if she, if she were just offering plug-and-play services where the customer just plugs in the graphics and the colors and the words and the names and so forth, she can't she can't deny that to people because that looks like a status-based uh, discrimination, and that's not constitutionally protected. Uh, but the more it looks like she's actually engaging in expression, which is what she says she wants to have protected, that's more likely to be protected. And um, uh, so I think probably a limited victory, at least for Lori Smith. So one one more quick question to slide in here before the end. So under under the um, under the scenario where Lori Smith wins in that limited victory way, how would this kind of tee up future uh, conflicts down the line with with this kind of principle applied? Like what what kind of what 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 comes next? What's the next development? You know, post three hundred three creative. Well, of course, that entire that depends in large part on what the Supreme Court says in its opinion, because I think the interesting thing is here, we don't have any facts. We have a lot of stipulations and stipulations are kind of, you know, uh, very simple and clear and and they're not like the real world, the real world of business services. When people come into a store and start negotiating about making a cake or uh, designing a website. Those are very complicated, messy facts. And so future courts are going to have to take the Supreme Court's opinion and decide in any individual case whether there's actual expression going on. Um, and under the court's principles, whatever they are, it's going to have to make those kinds of tough calls. Uh, and then I think, you know, there's going to be a host of there's a huge wedding service services industry in this country. You can call it the the wedding industrial complex. That is a multi-billion zillion dollar industry, and they involve caterers and florists and bakers and limousine drivers and hotel operators and calligraphers and you name it. Um, 
And all of those people, some of them at least, are going to object to certain kinds of weddings. So the courts are going to have to go through and decide either on a, a, on a profession by profession basis or on a fact basis, on an individual facts basis, whether expressive um, services have been or are being offered and then make a judgment about that. That's going to be very difficult. I don't, I don't see how the Supreme Court can avoid those future cases. And by the way, if the Supreme Court applies this, these First Amendment principles, as I think they will and should, to public accommodations laws, public accommodations laws don't just protect wedding service providers. They protect all, they involve all kinds of providers of business services. Uh, so we're talking about the full panoply of businesses. Um, and so, so we'll have those cases open. Um, Another question is going to be, and this will be a big question, it was only hinted at in the oral argument, but will there be any special kind of rules only for sexual orientation discrimination when it applies through a public accommodations law? Or will, at least in theory, these same First Amendment principles apply to other kinds of discrimination, most notably race discrimination, the paradigmatic civil rights protection in the country, sex discrimination, disability discrimination, religious discrimination. I mean, there are all kinds of, of, of issues that'll be opened up and, um, and, and what the court says about uh, those uh, other forms of discrimination, if they say anything, will um, give rise to potential future controversies as well. So we have a, a multi-dimensional chess game that is going to be created by whatever kind of decision I think that the Supreme Court ends up publishing in June or so. All right, thank you for uh, for that. And I think that, that wraps us up quite well, unless there's anything else you'd like to, to add about the case. I don't think so. All right, thank you very much, Professor Carpenter, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society, a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers, founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom, that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts, on iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org multimedia. That's F-E-D-S-O-C dot multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 